Amen. All right. Now to the message. I'm going to start this out um, by giving you a, a silly little metaphor to describe my life. Okay, I think many of us have that. We have maybe a metaphor uh, to describe our life, our family, uh, the daily activities. You kind of, this is what my life is like. Okay, so I'm going to tell you a, a silly little metaphor to describe the Maisie family. Okay? And maybe as you're listening to me, you're thinking about, I wonder what, what metaphor I would use to describe my life. Okay, maybe you're, you're thinking along the lines of Shakespeare that said, all of life is a stage, right? Uh, which can be a little stressful, especially if you're not a big fan of being up in front of people and performing. Or maybe more along the lines of Forrest Gump, who says what? Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Okay, see? We do this. We talk like this all the time. Well, I was thinking about the Maisie family, and I thought, you know, well, given the fact that uh, some of us are consistently, some kids, some adults, acting like clowns, and uh, in some way, shape, or form, you could always uh, uh, compare us to some kind of animal. Uh, there's a lot of noise, a lot of uh, just kind of wildness going on, and most people want to come. They want to hang out with us, right? But only for like an hour, right? Like, uh, the Maisies are fun for like an hour. And then, given all the noise and the animal-like behavior and the, the father that's kind of a clown uh, with the with with, with rosy cheeks and, and all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, it's fun to come over, have a little snack, and then after about an hour, it's time to go home. And I thought, that's basically a circus, right? right? That would be the metaphor of our family. It's got clowns, it's got people acting like animals, and it's really noisy, and people come over, and after about an hour, they want to go home. Because that's basically what a circus is like, right? Let's go to the circus, Dad. Okay, that sounds like a lot of fun. And then after about an hour of eating fried food, it's time to go home. And so for us, that's kind of the metaphor that I would use. That's what we do. We use metaphors uh, to describe our life. Well, the scriptures also do that. The scriptures use metaphors to describe what life is like. The scriptures use metaphor as well to give us a little bit of insight on, into uh, what our relationship with God really entails, right? There is uh, a test or a walk or a journey in relationship with God, right? Then maybe some other ones that you're off the cuff thinking about to, to encapsulate what life is like in relationship to God. Well, today we are looking at a metaphor to describe and, and kind of encapsulate for us what the Christian life is like. And that metaphor today is a race. And all of you were like, I'm not interested. Right? Because some of you maybe ventured out to the Tip Hill Fun Run yesterday when it was like four, and you did the four-mile run, and I saw, if I see one more photo on Facebook of some guy with snot frozen to his face from the Tip Hill Fun Run, 
you know, I think maybe we stay home for that one, you know. Um, some of us are just not big runners. We're not, we're not really interested in that. If you're built like me, your body uh, is not really built for such a thing. It's just, you know, you're built for something else, and, and it's not, running is not it. Um, and now Bissell's like, well, I do a pretty good job running, right, Tim? Five miles every day. So maybe Tim will like this message because he's a runner, and so that'll kind of connect. But for most of us, in this 2016 sugar-filled diet world, running is the last thing that we want to do. Racing would even be worse. But interestingly enough, this is the exact metaphor that we see in our scripture passage today in the book of Hebrews. Life, relationship to God, is a race. It starts at faith. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the race begins. And it ends with sight. And everything in between is running, racing. And I think the reason that we kind of, that hits us with a little bit of, uh, of anxiety or pressure is that we as a people uh, are, are so prone to weakness, right? Like, what's so difficult about running and racing is that about 50 meters in, we're just tired, it's hard. The wind and the heat and the, the layers of clothing that really were nice, like Under Armour went to this great length to design, design this beautiful clothing that's supposed to be breathable, but you can't breathe at all, right? It's hard. Like, what went wrong in the $70 t-shirt? You can't breathe. It's hard. It's weak. Uh, uh, you're weak. And so uh, when we think about this race that we're running, uh, we can feel pressure along the way to quit, right? Every time I start running a race or just running at all, immediately the quitting threshold starts to set in. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about, the quitting threshold, right? That weakness, laziness, lack of training, just don't feel like it. Shouldn't we be eating? Shouldn't we be doing something else? All this pressure starts to mount, and it is so easy to quit. And I think that for so many of us, this becomes a fitting metaphor, not only because this is what the Scripture teaches, but because that's exactly the kind of experience that we are having in our lives and relationship to God. We're tired. We feel the weight, right? Not just physically, but spiritually. We are spiritually worn out. And every step of the way in this race, there is intense pressure to quit. And some of you here today may be feeling that very pressure. I don't want to do this anymore. It's too hard. It's too difficult. I don't want to keep trusting in Jesus. It seems so much easier to just do what the world might say or to try this thing out. And so in the midst of pressure and persecution and trial and tribulation and just the everyday activities of our lives, we feel a tremendous weight and pressure to just stop running. Some of you here today may be feeling that very thing. 
questioning your faith in Christ. Weak, weary from the journey. If you're here today, and that's so, no matter where you are on the spectrum of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, God has a word for you today. Very specifically, very personal. A word of encouragement and exhortation. Uh, and, and He comes to you with a calling, a command. But it is not a baseless, unfounded command. It is not as though God is telling you to do something and has not provided what is necessary to keep it. Let's turn together to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. A very short passage today. But I believe a passage that will carry great impact for quite some time for us. Given our weakness and pressure to quit, how will we run this race, race to its completion? Hebrews 12, 1-2 Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the Word of God, and all God's people said, Amen. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Right there we see basis. It's not the first time that the author of Hebrews is telling his readers that they are to do something because of what they have. Right? If you look back to Hebrews chapter 4, he says, since we have a great high priest. Right? The, the readers upon faith in Christ now have Jesus as a high priest. Someone who stands uh, between them and mediates and in between between a holy God and them as sinners. They have that. And since they have that, they are now called to live in a particular way. Hebrews chapter 10, which we just saw. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, then there are some exhortations and commands that come out of that. Since we have a high priest, since we have confidence, since there is something that we have, right? Provision has been given. God has done something miraculous and gracious in your life, and it has a radical impact on what you are able and capable of doing on His strength and on the basis of His grace. And so we see that. Since God has given them this, a great cloud of witnesses, right? The, what is He referring to? He's referring to the last chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, which Jeremy preached a couple of weeks ago, which goes through all of history of a people who trusted in the promises of God, as recorded in the Word, 
and who endured in the face of great hardship. That's what makes the cloud of witnesses so great. Right? Yes, there's a, a vast number of them throughout history, amen, of people who have trusted in the promises of God and have endured in the face of great pressure to quit. And they endured to the end. And if you look back at chapter 11, they, that God commended them. He, he attested of their faith in the Scriptures, and that's what we read about. The whole Old Testament is, a, is our stories of people, sinners, of course, that fell miserably, no real heroes, if you will, but people who, by the power of the Spirit and the provision of grace from God, they trusted in God's promise and endured until the end. They did not quit trusting in what God had promised. And so this great cloud surrounds these people now that are running a race. And immediately we're brought to the Olympics, right? Some of those images of this, this great uh, uh, cloud or, or crowd of people that surrounds the runners that are running the track. It's not uncommon for that culture to have competitions and games in this regard. So the author of Hebrews is writing and using that metaphor of the, the running event, right? The 400, the 800, the 1600, the whatever hundred meters of intense pain and, and difficulty that the athletes are running. And what do the athlete, athletes have in their favor that surround them? The crowd, right? The cloud. The cloud is an image of just a vast number of people around them. And so what he's saying is, because you run this race with a great cloud or a crowd of witnesses, right? And immediately I'm thinking of the carrier dome, right? Some of you have said you were at the, at the game yesterday. There's something about the home court advantage with the Cuse this year. Am I right or am I wrong? Man, you go into the dome, I don't care what your record is or what your rank, you might be in trouble. There's something about the home court advantage for Syracuse. Well, that's kind of what I'm getting here with this race. When we're running, we have a, a home court advantage, if you will. Right? All the people in the crowd, guess what? They're not just spectators. They're not just people that are, that are a bunch of collective bums, right? Like Mike Maisie. A bunch of collective bums that tried to make it, they couldn't. And now they're in the crowd with bellies cheering you on, living vicariously through your success. That's what crowds typically are. A bunch of people who couldn't make it. But man, they wish they did. And they live and they personalize every shot. We made it. Dude, you didn't make anything. That guy made it, right? So it's not the typical spectator in the crowd. What he's talking about here is not a big crowd of people that are spectators looking in and, and, and wishing they had become you. But a cloud of witnesses. Yeah. People that play, ran that race. They've been there, done that. Right? To me, it's a little bit different. The inspiration that I get if just people, as I'm playing a game or a sport, I'm thinking back to high school, again, living vicariously. Anyway, and I remember when just nameless people are sitting in the crowd yelling and screaming. There's a noise 
right, that, that is exciting, that, that gives you some adrenaline, inspires you. That's one kind of encouragement. But there's another kind of encouragement when uh, old school superstar alumni walk in and they're watching you play. Right? There's a, when, if Michael Jordan and, and, and Larry Bird and Magic Johnson showed up to watch my game, there, there's a totally different feel than just nameless, faceless people. That what we have is a history of people who have lived a legacy of faithful endurance. They've been there. They've done that. They sympathize. They understand. And they're in the crowd. Right? As an inspiration. As an example for us in order that we might draw from them an endurance. Right? So we have this faithful cloud of witnesses. And it's recorded in the Bible. This cloud of witnesses. And I was thinking about Romans chapter 15, right? That these scriptures are written down for our encouragement, right? So that we might have hope. And so every time we're feeling, feeling weak and weary, we can withdraw from the scriptures, the stories of the saints of old who have been there, done that, who faced such difficulty, such persecution, who lost limbs for the faith that they grasped in their relationship to God. And we can say, yeah, this is what a true believer does. This is what the legacy that we are entering into. We are a people who have trusted in the promises of God, and we are a people who will not waver, even in the midst of great pressure, and we will continue to run and trod along. Yes, the Scriptures are written down for our encouragement, that we might have hope that no matter what we face in our walk with God or in this life, we are never in a place of hopelessness. There be some small situation in your life that is making you feel hopeless. There may be a massive situation in your life which makes you think that we will never get through it, we will never get past this, that this pain and struggle that I'm in will never end. But the truth is, is that this has been written down for us, that we might interact with it and withdraw encouragement from people who oftentimes have been through so much more difficult situations that we have, and they've run, and they've not given up, they've not quit, and they keep plodding along the race of life to its completion. Some of you are thinking about saints of old, some of you are thinking about your parents and your grandparents who walk through such difficulty, and you draw inspiration from those who have gone before you. We have said this countless times, that as a new church in this area, we stand upon the shoulders of those who have gone before us. We don't point the finger and say, Grandma and Grandpa's and Great Grandpa's church is boring and dead, and man, we're the real deal. No. We stand upon the shoulders of those who have been faithful and that gives us motivation to keep going. Amen? Some of you here today need to get out of your immediate situation and think about the larger faithfulness of God that is revealed in the faithful saints throughout all of redemptive history. That's what he's saying. Since you have that, this is what you're to do. He says, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. What he's saying is, we're going to have endurance 
to run the race as we rid ourselves of our heaviest uh, uh, and most powerful enemy, sin. How will you endure this race? Or maybe ask it the other way, negatively. How will endurance drain from you? How will life get sucked out of you? When will the well of your spiritual life seem to run dry? When you are not actively, intentionally ridding yourself of sin. Since we have a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which clings so closely. Again, I'm back to the gym in my mind. Every time I go to the gym, especially in the winter, I have a winter hat on, I got my hoodie on, I got my shirt, I got my wrist wraps, I got my shorts, I got my pants, I got my socks up to here, I got my shoes on. And I start the workout, or the warm-up, right? And about five minutes in, guess what happens? Throwing garments everywhere. Clothes, I guess, they make fun of me at the gym. It's like, there's Maisie's hat, there's Maisie's jacket. Right? When you start working out, all of a sudden, you feel the weight of this clothing that is on you. And so what happens to us in our walk with God is we start running toward the Lord. We start running in our faith. We start racing, and we recognize that we're carrying around things. We're literally wearing something that is weighing us down. And you know what it is? Our own sin. The weight often that we feel as we're running the race of faith toward Jesus is nothing more, nothing less than our own sin. Our own broken heart, our own depravity. Right? Other places in the scriptures we have uh, examples of this where, where Paul in Colossians is saying, right? Set your minds on things above and, and basically endure, continue to pursue, grow, keep going. And then he goes on to say, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Literally, kill sin in your life. Put it to death. And then he goes on later in Colossians 3 and he says, put on love. Right. So here we have this, this language of taking off a garment. Lay it aside every weight. Take it off. Put to death sin and put on the righteousness of Jesus. That we will endure to the extent that we're able to intentionally and actively get rid of spiritual weight that is standing in our way of gaining endurance and that we might complete the race. That is the nature of sin. Like physical weight drains physical energy, spiritual heaviness of sin drains us from spiritual energy. Sin has a way of weighing us down. Sin has a way of clinging to us. Some of you are in the midst of a very intense battle, even today, with a specific sin in your life, that even no matter how many times you try to conjure up enough uh, chutzpah spiritually to get rid of it, you can't seem to stop this sin. You're stuck. And you feel the weight of that. Right? The, the, the nature of sin is that it holds us while we refuse to let go of it. 
And I'm talking about people who know and love Jesus, who've been saved by grace, who've been forgiven by Him, who, in whom there is no condemnation, and yet they continue to hold on to the thing that is clinging to them. That's the nature of sin. That's what this race really is about. It's a race of ridding ourselves of sin. And the more we rid ourselves of sin, the more endurance we will have to run. God does not intend or desire for us to run this race in this life with the weight of sin upon our shoulders. That's a beautiful thing to interact with. Some of the more obvious examples of sins that cling, I think are, especially in our day and age, sexual temptation. Men, you know what I'm talking about. That it clings to you. That you can't seem to rid yourselves of this particular struggle. That it hounds you down, and it finds you, and you can't shake it. Right? But what he's saying here is that we're to rid ourselves of the thing that clings to you. This ruins marriages. It ruins people's lives. Right? It weighs us down. Sucks our energy dry. How about anxiety? Let me be personal for a moment. In my sin, I often read Philippians chapter 4, and I kind of chuckle at the Scriptures. Right? Again, it's no holy response, but it's been a a subtle one for me. Right? Uh, Do not be anxious about anything. I go, really? You know, like, that's my flesh response. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, present your requests to God. Okay, so I've said in my immature past, so let me guess. So I'm anxious about all the things that are going on and i got to do, and you're telling me to do something else too? That's great. Right? It's, it's hard. It clings to you. And you pray. And oftentimes you pray, and the minute you stop praying, it's still there lurking at the door. Some of you are struggling with that, anxiety. You're scared to brush your teeth. You're anxious of everything. All the time, there's a, there's a fingernail biting, there's a jitteriness to you, that when, even when you have four hours on a Saturday to just relax, you're walking around the kitchen island trying to figure out what you're supposed to be doing. Because you can't stop. You can't settle down and just enjoy. That fear has you by the ankles. And you can't seem to let it go. Right? And of course, I know often people have anger in bitterness, in envy, in jealousy, these things that hold on to us. And what they do as we hold on to it, refusing to forgive, refusing to let go of others, that it just keeps to fester. It keeps to hold on. And more and more begins to suck the life out of us. Some of you have that. You're struggling with anger. And the scriptures say, let it go. Take it off. See, Sin is our greatest enemy. And as we run this race, we are called to repent, to turn from our sin, to turn away from it, to literally take it off as a garment 
and lay it aside. For if we continue to hold on to it, it's just going to make it more difficult to endure and to persevere. And so I'm wondering today, if there's anybody here that has just about had it with a particular sin and struggle in their life, and they're in a place of, uh, uh, they just don't know what else to do. They know, don't know where else to go. They don't know how. I wonder if this morning, God is going to, by the power of His Spirit, quicken within you a, just a, a surrender to Him. A turning away from it. A renouncing of sin in your life. Very specific sins. And to cry out to Jesus and say, will you please take it from me today? What specific sin in your life do you need God to help you let go of? One that is hidden, but that is hurting you and stripping you of all spiritual energy. What do you need to lay at the altar of God today as you continue to run this race with endurance? That's what he says. Since we have this cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight. And some of you are saying, well, didn't you just say it's really hard to do that? And where am I going to get the ability to do that? Well, the good news is the passage goes on. Next, it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising his, the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Here's the amazing truth of this. See, when we read the words looking to him, we immediately think uh, about our eyes. Yes, that's the imagery, right? You're running a race, you're going around the track, and you have on in your focus, the finish line, right? Let's just settle there for a minute. Jesus is the finish line, amen? When we run the race of faith, Jesus is the starting point, and Jesus is the finish line. It starts at faith in Jesus. It will conclude with the sight of Jesus. That's hope. Jesus is the finish line. And so what he's saying is, a runner endures well when he keeps or she keeps his eyes fixated and focused upon the end game. Where are we headed here? If we're looking down, if we're looking around, we're, we're losing our focus. But if we're looking to the finish and focusing on where we're headed and we keep our eyes on it, we will be motivated to endure. Some of you have been there, right? You hit that quitting threshold, you're running, you're running, and you basically are like, I'm okay. I mean, really, I'm, I'm not winning the race. So does anybody care if I don't? I mean, I ran 30 minutes already. Why do I need to run 35 to finish? I mean, isn't that good enough? That's about 400 calories. All this rationale in your head try to tell you why you don't need to finish. So you just walk home. You're done. But then all of a sudden you turn the corner and you see the balloons that go over the finish line and you're like, I can't quit now. There's something about keeping your focus on the finish line that motivates endurance, right? I'm going to finish. That's what he's saying. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Look to Him. But the word actually connotates one of dependence. That's, it's really a word of dependence. Rely upon Jesus. So you ask the question, how am I going to let go of sin? How am I going to endure? How am I going to lay aside every weight? You're going to do so by 
relying and depending upon Jesus only. Looking to Him. It's like, it's like looking to Him, right? Like the, the child that in the moment feels unsafe in the presence of a stranger. And what do they do physically? They, they turn and they look where? To their mom or to their dad. And they run to their mom and dad, looking to them, and they dive into their arms, and they say, protect me, right? I'm relying upon you for safety. That's the looking imagery. So we are ridding ourselves of sin. We're repenting of it. We're laying it down. We're keeping our eyes focused on Jesus, which means we're fully relying upon Him. And I think this is a common error that we make in our relationship with God, which really shows a distortion of the gospel. We think that we come to faith in Jesus, check, we're saved, amen. And then we think, someday we're going to see Jesus, check, meaning we're going to go to heaven, amen. But in between, we're all on our own. That we need to try harder, we need to do better, And God is expecting us to just obey Him without His provision all the way. I'm here to tell you today, in your race, in your struggle, in the midst of this life that we have, you need Jesus to get this thing started, you need Jesus to keep this thing going, and you need Jesus to make it home. You need Jesus every step of the way. And some of the reason we continue to struggle with sins and distractions and we feel like quitting is because we're trying to do it on our own strength, friends. We're trying to conjure up enough spiritual energy on our own in the flesh in our relationship with God. But the truth is, is that's a false understanding of what salvation is. Jesus at the beginning. Jesus every step of the way. And Jesus when we cross the finish line. It's always about Jesus. And Burke Parsons says this, We don't look to Christ in faith to be saved and then look to ourselves to persevere. Our greatest need before conversion is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our greatest need after conversion is the same gospel. We never move on from the gospel, only deeper into the gospel. And you know, I've heard it so often pastoring and planting over the years. Hey, Mike, uh, appreciate uh, the gospel. It's been great hearing the gospel for 10 weeks. When are we going to move on and start talking about other things? Like, never? Well, don't you think people need like seven reasons to be better? Don't you think we should talk about communication more? It's, I'm being a jerk now, but... Uh, that's literally what the... I'm like, yeah, communication is good, but our message is the gospel. People don't need seven tips. They need Jesus. And so we preach Jesus. If you're looking for a church that's going to abandon the gospel after a a course called the gospel course, you're in the wrong place. That's not going to be the church that we are. We never will be. If you're bored with the gospel, this will not be the place for you. But if you love the gospel, and you love Jesus, and you can't get enough of Jesus' sufficient 
sacrifice for sin and His provision every step of the way and His Word and His people and all that the Gospel brings. If you're never bored of that, Renovation Church is going to be a great church for you because that's what you're going to hear. We make a commitment to Jesus, to preach Jesus, to rely on Jesus because we will never make it to the end of this race if we start doing something else. And if you, individual, are living your life with something else driving and inspiring and dictating and and, and motivating you other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, let me be very clear, you will not finish. You will walk away. So let us all depend upon Jesus for everything, every step, every day, refusing to be distracted, refusing to hear the noise of culture which says you might feel better about your life if you try this. Or maybe Jesus is great, but if you add this to Jesus, then you'll really be growing. Jesus doesn't need anything added to him. Amen? He's doing just fine. Why do we trust in Jesus? Because of who he is and what he has done. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the beginning and the end. Why do we trust in Jesus? Because of what He has done for us and how He did it. Friends, He endured the cross for us. Where do we get motivation to endure the Christian life? From Christ Himself. The One who endured perfectly from beginning to end. The basis and the foundation of our faith. And all of that is centered in on the cross of Jesus Christ where He bled and He died and He hung and He sacrificed and gave Himself so that we might be redeemed back to Him. Why trust in Jesus? Because He alone died. He alone endured the cross, the sufficient payment for our sin. And so in our wrestle against sin, in our struggle to lay it aside, we're looking to Jesus The one who endured, who's done all that is necessary for us and provided for us His Holy Spirit, which now lives inside of us, giving us the power to keep plodding along no matter how long the race may be or how difficult it may feel. The Spirit of God has been provided through that work of the cross and the resurrection and now He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Why would you depend on anyone else other than the one who is seated at the right hand of God? So we depend on Jesus for who He is, for what He's done, and where He sits. And there's no one else that sits in that seat. So with this great cloud of witnesses, with this great Savior who has made sufficient payment, for our sin, who's dealt with it, who's conquered sin, Satan, and death, with this great Savior who sits at the right hand of the uh, the Father, with the name that is above every name, and at His name every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, we depend solely and wholly upon Him. Some of you are just simply living a self-reliant life. And it's time to humbly admit that we're not going to make it another day unless we solely and wholly depend upon Christ. Amen? And the good news, right? 
is that He's there for us. He ran the race before us. He's the great faithful witness, Revelation, that we look to and that we receive from to keep running faithfully. This whole time I was thinking about um, two saints, really, in this great cloud, and I'm going to end with this. Why should I depend on Jesus? And this is for anyone here, someone that's been a Christian their whole life, and someone who has never heard about Jesus at all, or never truly given themselves in saving faith to Jesus, no matter where we are, okay? That reliance upon Jesus is the nature of saving faith. Now think about Peter, right? Peter, one of the apostles, one of the disciples, when Jesus is teaching this very hard teaching about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and then he looks at his disciples and says, uh, do you want, as people are walking away, not really interested in a message like that, it seems kind of weird, uh, we're out. Um, he looks at his disciples and he says, uh, do you want to leave too? What does Peter say? To whom shall we go? Right? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There's nowhere else to get that. There's no one else to go to. You're saying some pretty weird things. But there's nowhere else to go. Even in the midst of not understanding what you're saying or what we're going through in this life, even though I don't quite get it, there is nowhere else to go, no one else to depend upon other than you because you have the words of eternal life and we have come to see and know that you are the Holy One of God. Maybe today you're seeing and knowing that for the first time. You're recognizing that you've been going to other things. But Jesus has said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden in this race, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Peter, where else are you going to go? Go to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. And then last, I was thinking of Martin Luther. Centuries later, and he penned the greatest song of all time, and we can fight after the service. Okay, it's fine with me. I'm a fair man, but I do have my opinions. A mighty fortress is our God. We're going to sing that. The band's going to come forward. We're going to sing that. And uh, I want to read to you this song, this poem. And I wonder if it might minister to you who are weary in the walk or in the race. You're thinking about quitting. You're not quite sure anymore about Jesus and the Word and the Bible, given all that's going on in your life or in society. And I wonder if this wouldn't minister to you. He says, a mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Our helper, he, amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe.
His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not His equal. And I love this verse. And it's really the one to be emphasized here. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. For running this race in our own strength, we won't just lose, we'll quit. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing does ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord Sabaoth, His name, from age to age, the same. And He must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. Don't lose sight of that. God willed His truth to triumph through you. He will complete what He started. Amen? The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for Him. His rage we can endure, and lo, His doom is sure. One little word shall fell Him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The Spirit and the gifts are ours through Him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindreds go. Man, we need to hear that in America. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Amen? Let go of sin. Look to Jesus and endure this race to the end. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the author and perfecter of our faith. It was you that endured the cross despised its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. And you have made us a people. You have set out and marked out for us a race. You've called us to run. And yet we come to you with the recognition that, and admission that we are weak and that sin weighs us down. Truth be told, we just need help, Lord. We confess our sin of self-reliance, thinking we can do it on our own, trying our own spiritual religious tricks and all these ideas that we have that'll make us be better people. And Lord, you're not really interested in that at all, but really interested in us withdrawing and continuing to receive your grace that we might run this race with endurance, giving you all the glory. Jesus, the beginning of our salvation. Jesus, the end of our salvation, and Jesus, the means by which we get to home. May we be a people that trust in Jesus to the end. 
and to place our hope in the sight of his glory. All God's people said, amen.